following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, Californian Fury. What a joy, what an honor, what a privilege to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy and a privilege, it's it's my joy and privilege right now to introduce to you all my guest at this time. He is one of the greatest referees in the history of the professional wrestling business. You may remember him from ECW. He is the one and only John Reffin Finnegan. How are you, my friend? I got to make a T-shirt out of that. Good. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, sir. Thank you so much for uh, uh, joining me on the show. Um, this is really fun for me. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a few guys from ECW on the show. I've had your good friend Jim Molino on the show. So uh, this is going to be fun because, John, you, you you were there from the start until the end of uh, the beloved ECW. Um, before, yeah, yeah uh, before ECW, there was a time that you've become a wrestling fan. Uh, could you please tell me how you became a fan of professional wrestling? Yeah, that was uh, the ripe old age of five years old, uh, watching with my grandmother on Saturday morning. She's the one that, she was actually a real big boxing fan and then really started getting into pro wrestling. And I was sitting there, always stayed with her on weekends and stuff like that. And we always watched wrestling on Saturday mornings. And that's how it started. Loved it right from the get go. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, no, I, I always hear grandparents are quite prominent uh, when it comes to a lot of people becoming uh, fans of wrestling. Um, so as uh, five years old, okay, that's a long time before there's a, a, a point in your life where you think to yourself, I, I want to get into the business somehow. So uh, as your fandom continues on from five years old, at what point was it that you're like, okay, uh, maybe an opportunity came up? Um, how did you get into the business initially? Well, I, I was hooked once I first saw Dusty Rhodes. He was, he's my favorite all time and loved, loved Dusty. And every chance I got a chance to watch him wherever it would be, I, I, I did. And that's how I got hooked. Um, I guess it started, I guess in my teens, high school, I wanted to start getting involved and really didn't know how. Uh, graduated high school and started a, a job with my father working in a refrigeration company for pur in purchasing. So we had a lot of different... Uh, luncheons like uh, uh, celebrity um, uh, different luncheons they would have for charity charity type things yeah. so I went to one in New Jersey and um, one of the guys my first chance at trying to find out how to get into the business uh, Gorilla Monsoon was uh, at was one of the celebrities at the luncheon so uh, I went up to him started talking to him and to this day it just bugs the hell out of me he kayfabe me to no end and gave me not one bit of direction at all. Uh, you just keep plugging away, kid, and uh, well, you know, one of those days you'll be able to you'll be able to jump aboard. So, kind of kind of turned me off to Gorilla Monsoon when I first met him. Not not then, but later on after I realized he was just working me and didn't want to be bothered with a young kid bothering <laughs> at some luncheon. So actually, I knew 
uh, of the Monster Factory. And at the time, Buddy Rogers was involved with it. And Buddy Rogers lived um, 10 minutes from me in Haddonfield, New Jersey. So I literally knew where he was. I went up to his front door, knocked on his front door, introduced myself. He invited me in, must have spent an hour with me. He was just getting out of being involved with the Monster Factory and Larry Sharp. But he told me, go see Larry um, and uh, he'll, he'll take care of you. Great. Uh, buddy was unbelievable. He could have just slammed the door in my face and told me to get lost, but invited me in. Like I said, talk for about an hour. So that week, later that week, I went to the Monster Factory to talk to Larry. The night I went there, Larry was on vacation and Dick Worley was there watching the Monster Factory for him. And uh, Dick was telling him, yeah, Larry will be back next week. He's on vacation. Again, Dick was great. Gave me a lot of advice. Yeah, come on back and talk to Larry. So I came back the following week, talked to Larry. And the only thing Larry was interested in is when he was getting paid and how much he was getting paid. And (laughs) all he was really concentrating on, make sure I was going to pay the tuition at the time. So that kind of turned me off a little bit. um, But I said I'd come back. I called Dick the next day, told him what happened. He said, listen, I can take care of you. Um, I can train you. Uh, Back then, the athletic commissions were really involved uh, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. And Dick Worley worked for all of them and had connections with all of them. So I started traveling with him, uh, going from show to show. We'd get there early, work out with the guys, uh, whatever show he was involved in. I started training from there. And one of the, one of the, First shows I traveled with him was in the Baltimore Civic Center for an NWA card. And the first guy he introduced me to was Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> and I was just awestruck. And uh, he talked to me for a couple of minutes, patted me on the ass and said, see you soon, kid. I'm sure you'll be in this business soon. And uh, yeah, from there, I just traveled with Dick, uh, town to town, met a lot of promoters, got in, uh, got familiar with the commissions and year and a half later I had my first match right so is this you actually uh having tra- trained to wrestle or is this training to referee no, referee. I never wanted to wrestle I uh I don't know I was just always hooked in the referee and right. turns out you're involved more being a referee you get to work more every show a couple top two three matches a night so you're involved in different aspects of the show and actually all kinds of aspects of the show which was which was cool and uh, uh, yeah I was just always wanted to be a ref never a wrestler Okay, cool. I just wanted to confirm that because uh, sometimes the internet isn't the most reliable when it comes to information. So I just wanted to make sure that uh, we were on the right track. That's cool. Um, okay, so uh, you, you get your start uh, getting to referee and all that. Um, uh, when did, when would you say you first found your, uh, the first uh, company that you kind of call home for a while? Um God, it, back when I first started with him, it was just doing a lot of indies. There wasn't okay. somebody, one person I started with. I was being assigned mainly by the New Jersey Athletic Commission. They would give you your monthly assignments. And uh, I got to do, uh, w, back then, WWF shows when I first started, which was unbelievable because they didn't have their own contracted guys then. Um, right. Got to work a match with uh, Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect. 20-minute time control in Wildwood, New Jersey in 19 – I want to say that was 89, maybe. I started in 86, and I started getting WWF shows, 88, 89. And I think by 90 or 91, they had finally had their own contracted guys. So that that stopped, but 
being a 20 year old kid doing Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect was just tremendous. My first actual company, I would say, I guess would be TWA, Joel Goodhart's TWA, uh, where I was exclusively working for him uh, back at that time. Excellent, excellent. And for those out there, I, I'm assuming you're speaking of the company that many would consider as the, the precursor to Eastern Championship Wrestling. Um, exactly right, yep. Yeah, cool. Uh, we 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 we've had many people bring up Joel on the show. Um, you know, how did you feel? Uh, how, you know, did you like working for him? Yeah, Joel was great. Uh, it, it's funny. I, I was um, kind of connected to the Monster Factory because Larry found out that Dick kind of stole me from <laughs> from going over there. <laughs> Larry liked me and used me on his shows as well. Uh, Dennis Caraluzzo, who was promoting with Larry. Uh, Kind of. So working with TWA, I actually was kind of working with Larry and, and Dennis's promotion as well, uh, back and forth until they started having their first feud and <laughs> their first uh, territory uh, squabble. So I, so I was more with Joel at that time, uh, working with Tri-State Wrestling. Yeah, it was great. Um, some crazy shows. I mean, everybody knows about them, loaded with big names and stars and some wild night down at Pennsylvania Hall in Philly. Um, and like you said, the precursor to ECW. Right, cool. What are your memories of uh, that 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 moment in time where your TWA is going away, and then it becomes Eastern Championship Wrestling, and a man by the name of Todd Gordon gets involved? Well, what are your memories of that period there? Yeah, Todd actually was involved silently, quietly with the, with uh, Joel uh, right. in, behind the scenes, and uh, I right away hit it off with Todd. Uh, it, to this day, we're real good friends. Um, uh, it was kind of, in fact, it was the uh, Buddy Rogers, Buddy Landell uh, big match that Joel was going to have. And um, that was, he actually announced on his radio show that it was not going to happen. He was done, out of business. And that was, that just crushed everywhere. We all found out listening to the radio show on Saturday morning <laughs> when that it, that it was done. Had no idea because uh, the show was being hyped all over the place. I'm really to this day still surprised that he didn't go ahead with the probably would have had his biggest gate uh, just for that match alone. People wanted to see it, uh, which really surprised me that he at least didn't go through with that show and maybe could have went out that night uh, instead of doing the way he did it. But yeah. who knows why? I'm sure he has his own reasons, but unfortunately it never happened. Right. Um, so uh, when it becomes Eastern Championship Wrestling, um, uh, Todd, uh, you know, th these are the early days of Eastern Championship Wrestling, excuse me. Um, he brings in Eddie Gilbert. Um, and uh, after Eddie comes in, he brings in a lot of his guys uh, and a lot of the original Eastern uh, Championship Wrestling guys. They they kind of uh, have to take a hike. Uh, that's from uh, talking to Bay Ragney. He told me a little bit about that situation. But uh, a few people got to stay, uh, yourself and Jim. Uh, how did you How did you feel making the cut there? And how did you feel when uh, somebody like Eddie Gilbert came into the company? Uh, it was great uh, with working with Eddie. Eddie, what a mind for the business. It's just a shame of all his personal issues. But, yeah, he had a great mind. I hit it off with him right away. Uh, never had an issue with him. I, I guess he kind of liked me and Jim because we, we both uh, we both hung around throughout the whole thing. Yeah, with everybody uh, using, he bringing in his own guys and using some of the guys. I mean, that constantly happens in all different promotions. It's just it's just the way it is. Some people 
like you, some people don't like you, some people get you, some people don't get you. And, and it's fortunate, unfortunately, that's the way the business is behind the scenes, a kind of, kind of little tough, uh, almost high schoolish sometimes for some of the reasons that some guys make it, some guys don't make it, but it's silly. I never got involved in any of that kind of uh, backstage nonsense. I just came, did my job and, uh, I guess it worked. Yeah. Um, and, another, you know, the, the, it's kind of natural progression of questions here, I suppose. Uh, but I wanted to know, like, how did you feel the company was going from your perspective before Paul Heyman came in? Uh, it, was, it was picking up some steam in Philadelphia. I mean, uh, of course, that's the first time we uh, started working at the arena. Todd found the arena, the building, uh, famously known as the world famous Bingo Hall down there mm-hmm. in Swanson and Whitner. And it was a great, a great setup. Uh, that area right in the middle of South Philly who are still to this day, in my opinion, probably the greatest wrestling fans around today is the, is the Philadelphia. I always say this in interviews, I'm a big Philadelphia sports fan and Philadelphia sports fans are some of, if not the most loyal fans are out there. I mean, live and die with their teams. And that's the way Philadelphia wrestling fans are. They live and die with the wrestling business. They spend they spend their money, they come and support, they boo and yell and cheer, and God bless them because they, they were a, a big part of the early days of ECW and all the way through the relaunch of WWE ECW. They, they uh, never changed and made it, made it what it was, uh, a special place to, to work in front of. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, there is a point where Paul comes in. Uh, I wanted to know what your first impressions were of Paul Heyman when you first met him. And that actually wasn't the first time I met him. I, I met Paul uh, traveling right. with Dick. Paul was doing a lot of photography. Uh, he was already getting into managing throughout the business. And Paul, <laughs> Paul's Paul. He'll, he'll come <laughs> up when you first meet him for the first time. Uh, he'll hug you and kiss you and it's like the first time you met him like you've known him for 20 years um but he's easy easy guy to get along with um uh, of course starting to work with him later on you you found out some of the real paul and, uh, <laughs> and the games paul plays and and but people would run through walls for him uh if you were working for him he, he he knows how to motivate you um one of the, I guess, his, his good aspects is uh, to him is he, he knows how to motivate someone and just one of the greatest minds in the top five minds in the business. That's why you still you still still see him on TV today when you when you flick on your TV. As annoying as he may be behind the scenes and and very uh, confident in his opinions and his ways, uh, he butts heads with Vince McMahon. Uh, a lot of people don't butt heads with Vince McMahon, but Paul's confident in what he in what he does and what he thinks something should be done how things should be done and uh, good for him. He's still making a, a quite a good living in the business right now. That's true. That is very true. And it, I always find it humorous whenever I bring up like Paul's name with, with anyone from ECW. It's always like, as you said, Paul's Paul. It's almost like the, the things that he's done to, you know, I guess mess people around or whatever. It seems like he always gets a free pass. It's like, oh, that's Paul's Paul. <laughs> what, is it that's, what is it about him that, that allows him to have this free pass? It's seemingly this free pass with everybody. Well, I, I think one of the one of the big things is when when he is in your corner, um, he will back you to to his last breath. Uh, he thinks that he he thinks you got it, 
and, and you can make money with you, with you. He's going to, he's going to push you and he's going to be behind you. And, um, that's a great friend to have, uh, in the business right now. If, uh, if he sees something in you, then he, there's something about you and you, you have the potential to, to do something in the business. And he's a great guy to listen and learn. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Okay, John, I want to ask this question right here. John Finnegan walks into an ECW locker room in the mid-90s. What might John Finnegan see as he walks in there? What would be like a typical day in an ECW locker room? Uh, it, it, uh, the Barnum and Bailey Circus on steroids when you, when you step <laughs> back into that uh, behind the scenes. There is, oh, Lord, there's, there's things you don't want to talk about. There's just things that are, it was just a fun group. I mean, bottom line, it was, a bunch of guys that had uh, such passion for the business. 99.9% um, .9 of the time, everybody got along. Uh, they all had the same mission, just to put on a great show for the paying fan. Uh, they all started the same way I did. Little kids growing up, watching the business, wanting to get involved in it. They got involved in it. They got hooked into something like ECW and, and just felt the 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 emotion, the passion, and just got sucked up into it and just wanted to go out there and just perform for the people paying their hard-earned money. And I think that was the biggest success. It was a family amidst all the chaos back there. It was a big family that all had the same mission, and that's to put on a great show for the fans. Absolutely. And when it comes to family, I'm going to get to something about that a little bit later on, I think is an important part of what ECW was about. Um, but I wanted to kind of skim forward ahead here to, uh, I believe it's the day before ECW barely legal in 1997. There, there's a, a Terry Funk appreciation banquet, which I watched in full for the first time, uh, maybe about two weeks ago. Um, could you tell me about your memories of that night and, and from your perspective, how uh, much uh, Terry Funk means to, you know, ECW? Yeah, that was a pretty, that was a pretty cool night. A great idea that, I guess Tom or Paul, whoever had the idea to put it together, it, it was a great way to kick off the weekend. Um, oh, Terry Funk goes down as probably one of the the best the best assets that ECW was able to uh, to use to get it started. I mean, um, the Tommy Dreamers and the Ravens and the Sandman's followed afterwards, but to have that name and that uh, signature guy that everybody could relate to and knew kind of set ECW off in the right direction and to have Terry in the locker room uh, was just great. He he had mentioned to Jim and I before that he loved, you know, everybody says they love working with you and all, but it was just nice to hear from him. Hey, you guys are great. You do a good job. I really, two of the best that you ever worked with. And I think I said that in the speech at the dinner that he actually said that to us and he was sitting right there and, and uh, he was, he was a, a big, big asset to ECW first getting it started. I mean, even before the extreme days, he was, he was there from the beginning. Todd brought him in and and started uh, started it off he was great to have absolutely yeah i thought it was important to bring that up uh because of me just watching it the other day uh and, and seeing you and uh jim get a, get the opportunity to go up there and, and and tell him exactly how you felt um so belly legal 1997 uh at that point uh i believe in your speech you even mentioned you know, thank you for tomorrow night being the greatest night of my life or so, something along those lines. You hadn't even got to the night yet and you already knew it was going to be that way. Um, 
please tell me a little bit about that day um, and, you know, just the feeling of being on pay-per-view for the first time. Yeah, actually, uh, going back a little bit to the, to the banquet, um, a lot of the guys in ECW that time, uh, Sandman, Stevie Richards, uh, Meany, I, I seen those guys start in the business before we even got, got to that point. So a, a lot of those guys that I've seen start, like the Sandman is uh, – surfer wetsuit carrying a surfing board to the ring back before he started in ECW with a completely uh, new Sandman gimmick that we all know today. Um, yeah, I watched those guys grow and, and Jim and I uh, were together in TWA and I trained Jim and got him in the business. And uh, it was just, a, it was a neat progression seeing all that, that going on with knowing those guys from the beginning, Jim and I from the beginning um, and then growing into a, national promotion if you will uh just about ready to have their first show on on uh, pay-per-view um yeah it was a great day it was a crazy day it was a all my, i always think sometimes i think we may have been a tad over our head uh that early trying to trying to put one on but it, it worked and it ended up being great but it was a, it was a crazy day that day right down to the last bell i mean i'm sure you've heard the stories the power was about to go out in the building uh, right down to the last minute and literally 20 seconds when that show was ended, the power went out in the building and we lost connection to the pay-per-view. So yeah, that's, that's how crazy it was. <laughs> that's ECW style right there. It had to, it had to end like that, didn't it? <laughs> 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 um, Todd Gordon, uh, at some point he does end up leaving the company. I'm sure you've been asked this many times, but uh, how did you feel about Todd leaving the company? Because, you know, he'd been there since, you know, TWA and all that stuff. And, he, you know, he was, you know, the man in charge right at the beginning. Now he leaves the company. Um, you know, this is an old friend of yours. How did it make you feel uh, when that took place? Yeah, it was it was tough to see. It was a shame because Todd he started it obviously uh, with his hard earned money. He started ECW and, and kept it going through some tough times in the beginning. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, he he had to move on. And uh, it, it was a, it was sad to see him go because I I love always loved working with Todd and Todd always took good care of me. And um, yeah, it was it was tough, but uh, better better from him better for him to get away. Cool, man. Um, the, John, I want to get it to, to sink into to you right now. I've just asked you about different moments and times in ECW. And I really want to talk to you about you and your role in ECW. Um, there, there are a lot of laymen out there that may not understand that there's more to a referee's job than just counting to three or to ten. There is a lot more to it than that. Could you explain to anyone out there that doesn't quite understand how much there is to it exactly what what goes into your job as a referee in a company like ecw yeah i mean you do a lot of running around behind the scenes um it's it's funny uh, we would be sitting at the arena and paul would literally be writing the show down on a eight by eleven and a half piece of paper 10 minutes before that first bell is supposed to ring no, <laughs> no kidding 10 minutes he was writing the whole list of matches down me jim Bob Ortiz, we were there behind him. He's sitting down. He's looking around the room. Who's here? Who do I got? Who's going on? So we're, as he's writing matches down, we're taking off in different directions, telling these guys to do this, telling these guys to do that. Hey, you're on first. Get ready. Put something together. Um, you got this amount of time. Um, it 
just like the pay-per-view. And before we even got to the pay-per-view, it was always organized chaos is how I like to uh, explain <laughs> it and on every show. There was no different in any show um, the way it started like that. It was Paul would, he would be pulled in different directions before it was time to get the show started. And we'd finally get him to sit him down at the table and start putting the damn matches on a piece of paper so we know what was going on and everybody else wanted to know what they were doing. So you, you had a lot of that going on. Uh, then the referees would go over, obviously, get with the guys that they're working with and, and find that out. And back then, we didn't ever work with headsets. That yeah. was a big thing. We never worked with headsets. There was never any direction from uh, Gorilla to us in the ring. So you kind of had to really pay attention to either somebody at ringside. Andy Weinberg was a big guy who helped us at ringside. Um he had a headset on, so he would give, be giving us a lot of signals and time signals and stuff like that. But the referee in ECW was, I, I don't want to say in control, but really had to uh, pay attention to the pace of the match and the pace of the night um, to see what we were doing and to make sure that we got off in time. And that was never evident uh, than the first pay-per-view. When if you, if you go back and you watch the three-way dance right before the main event, um, Todd Gordon's like running around the ring telling them to go home so we can get Raven out there to wrestle Terry Funk to finish up the night. You see him running around like a chicken went out of his head trying to get these guys to go home because we had no headsets. Nobody was listening. The power's about ready to go out in the building and that's that's the way it went. Yeah, so we had a lot to do before the actual show started. Just making sure everybody knew what they were doing uh, for that particular show that night. <laughs> You're right. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I'm, I, I'm guessing like when you're getting those signals at, at ringside, well, they, they can't yell out to you. Is there certain things that they would do? Would they hold a pen or would they do like something like tug a tie or something like that? What, yeah, what kind yeah. of signals of this? <laughs> Actually, there was times there was some yelling. <laughs> Take it home or you got five minutes or something like that. Yeah, there was some yelling going on, but mostly it was head in the mouth or five, 10, 15 minutes gone in the match. They would give you finger signals. Something like that. But, yeah, there was times where, uh, yeah, there was just flat-out yelling <laughs> to tell you what to do. <laughs> fans were so involved in the match and that the whole atmosphere at the arena and really anywhere we went, nobody even noticed anything like that because everybody was just – they were just yeah. part of the – it was it was great. Absolutely. Um, and, and as far as anything else uh, with ECW, did you have any other jobs? I know a lot of guys did more than one thing in the company. Did you have anything else that you did in ECW? Actually, no, uh, I did not. No, it was mostly refereeing. I, I mean, I, uh, I posted the lineup and assigned, obviously assigned the referees to the, to the matches. But other than anything else in the, in the, in the show, that's pretty much all I did was uh, did the lineup, assigned the refs, uh, and then ref obviously the matches. Excellent. Um, you have you have essentially the best seat in the house uh, as far as anyone's concerned. And when when you're seeing a lot of these crazy moments that take place in ECW, uh, as the years went by, did it ever cease to amaze you the kind of stuff that the guys would do? You know, what would you say are like some of the craziest ECW moments for you to to witness right then and there? It was funny. It, Funny you say that. I was just reading something about the uh, the crucifix angle the night at the arena uh, with Sandman and Raven, and all the all the craziness and the blood and the violence and the bumps the guys got. That that particular thing kind of kind of uh, hit home with some people uh, personally in the background, kind of over the top, if you will, or a little bit too much. Um, 
me being an Irish Catholic boy uh, growing all up, it kind of, and I say that, but I'm the worst Catholic now today than, than I've ever been. But back then, it kind of affected people uh, to that extent, kind of a little bit over the top and a bit a bit too much. Uh, but with all the craziness that we did, that's probably one of the most talked about. Things. I mean, that generated Paul sending the Raven out there to apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I could think of a hundred things to send somebody out there to apologize for. That that probably wouldn't have been at the top of the list. But uh, yeah, that was probably the most talked about uh, crazy thing that got attention by everybody. Right. Um, and throughout this interview, you've dropped his name a few times, Dusty Rhodes. He does end up coming into the company, uh, I believe around the year 2000, as he comes into work with Steve Carino, um, with a, in a great angle. Uh, how it must have been for you to be able to, to work with somebody like, you know, the one that you was the guy you looked up to most uh, in, yeah. in wrestling, Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, it's it's just funny how this all works like that, how uh, just the progression of different things and they all come back full circle. Uh, mm. He's the guy I watch as a little kid on TV and there he is in what is probably my well, most well-known company I ever, I, it obviously is my most well-known company I ever worked for ECW. And there's Dusty Rhodes, uh, just like Terry Funk did in the beginning, here's Dusty Rhodes coming in and putting Steve Carino over like a million dollars. And Steve was always a star, but he was no bigger star than what Dusty, when Dusty got done with it, working with him. Um, and that's like Terry Funk did, Dust, Terry Funk did for Tommy Dreamer and everybody else he worked for in the early days. Dusty Rhodes came in and, and uh, uh, made Steve Carino uh, look a little more, uh, if, he, if it was possible, better than he ever did. And, uh, and it was just great, uh, yeah, coming, from beginning to when I started to there he is uh, working with ECW. Just, he's just, a, he's, you hear the guys today in WWE who miss him uh, working at the performance center. And he was like a father figure to all of them. The guy just knew the business, like the back of his hand. I mean, every aspect of it. And I mean, people talk to him and, and there, there's tears in his eyes talking about the guy. The guy uh, is just incredible with people. And, um, just an unbelievable, unbelievable mind and helped so many people throughout his years in the business. Yeah, excellent. And and to me, when you say, you know, there's a, a full circle moment for you, every time I do an interview, it's a full circle moment for me. <laughs> Watching all of everyone that I've had on the show, on TV when I was much younger, and now I get to come full circle like I am here right now with you, John. This is... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Uh, like when people are, I've had a few people been asking me to do interviews lately. I don't, I don't know why. And it's, it's always about ECW. Dan, it, it, it won't go away. It's never <laughs> going away. It's un I've never seen anything uh, in all the years I watch wrestling where people still talk about ECW. I mean, we're 25 years out from, uh, <laughs> from, from a day. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how uh, I'm still getting, calls and stuff like that for uh, interviews and just to come do the, the conventions and stuff like that the working shows it's it'll never be duplicated it's it had its chance over the years right now and nobody's been able to do it i mean aew right now is on a little bit of a, a buzz but nothing compared to what people hate hearing this but ecw changed the business good or bad it, um it had the biggest impact I've ever seen since I'm 54 years old. 
and have been a fan and continue to watch it today. I've never seen a company or a group of people have such a, a, uh, a uh, uh, feeling on how the business went and how it changed. It's just unbelievable. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to say it like the, the biggest problem that I have ever had with ECW is, is that it's ruined wrestling for me because I can't get into anything else. There's nothing else I like because nothing compares as far as I'm concerned. I, I just, I try so hard to not be a bitter fan these days, but I just, it, it just doesn't turn my brain on like ECW did. It was just like so many senses, you know, from start to finish on every show. Uh, I, I, I've, I've been spoiled, essentially. So that's my biggest problem with ECW. It, it ruined wrestling for me because to me, it's just nothing's ever going to be able to, to beat it. Yeah, it was it was a special time with uh, some special people running it. And uh, it was it was different then. It was innovative. And it was, yeah, you don't see, I, as the biggest fan I am today, I cannot watch three hours of Raw anymore. I was religiously on my couch watching Raw from start to finish in the Attitude Era, probably the best best time of, of WWE on Raw. And I, I just can't, I can't watch today. And I hate standing like the old guy and, and guys are out there. I, with no disrespect to anybody that's on TV right now, um, they all out there busting their asses and bouncing their bodies around. Um, yeah, like we, ECW, like you say, it, it, it ruined the business for you. It kind of maybe ruined the business, either good or bad, in a lot of people's in a lot of people's opinions. And uh, the young guys and girls that are out there today, um, God bless them. Um, it's tough. It's a tough business to to make it in right now. And but good for them. They are they are they are killing it out there. Um, but it's just not the same, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm only 34 years old and I feel like I sound like the old bit of, uh, you know, it's just not the same, you know, back in my days. I, I never thought I'd say that back in my day. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Me too. And I'm already saying I'm not even, I'm not even 35 years old. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, John, I wanted to go through some word association here. I'm going to name some people um, and just a couple of thoughts about them. Um, a lot of them are uh, your, your closer colleagues than than the wrestlers. I'm talking about some of the referees here. Uh, so the first name, John Peewee Moore. Uh, he he was funny, <laughs> interesting dude. Um, he was, of course, uh, for lack of a better term, E G E uh, Sabu's bag carrier. <laughs> I hate to say that because Peewee's a good guy and and did a lot of good for us for ECW and really busted his ass. But I mean, that's what he was known as. He would be. He would be helping Sabu from town to town, but uh, good kid, uh, good rep. Oh, uh, the one and only Mike Keener. Mike Keener is a good, to this day, personal friend of mine. Um, will always be uh, the hell with the business. Mike Keener is a friend of mine. He is a great referee, uh, one of the best still today. You can see him on MLW and uh, um, a lot of different indies uh, around here. Uh, Great guy, great family guy, and a real good friend. Awesome. Uh, up next, uh, I know he was, I don't think, I think maybe only refereed once or maybe twice in ECW. I could be wrong. Brian Hildebrand. Yeah, he was only there a couple of times. At one arena show, I think. I think he came in to do Shane and Cactus uh, at one time. Um, uh, 
tragic uh, story, obviously, with his, with his health issues and, and us losing him. But another, you don't see a lot of great, genuine people in the, in the wrestling business. He was a genuine, nice human being and a great referee. Excellent. Um, of course, Jim Molino. Jim's, uh, Jim's been a friend since, when did we start? Jim started in 88 or 89, I think, maybe. I, I could be wrong on that. He lives two miles from me. Uh, we're actually working shows together today with ECWA um, uh, um, the last few months. Last year, I guess, we've been going together. I worked for Jim on some of his promotions. Uh, great referee, great guy, and we'll always be a friend. Excellent. And two more guys are going to bring up, not referees, but ring announcers, uh, Stephen DeAngelis. <laughs> Steve, he, well, he's a show in himself to watch when he's ring announcing. <laughs> <laughs> he goes off when he's ringing the announcing the uh, matches. Um, I actually haven't talked to Steve in a while, maybe on social media, Facebook here and there, um, but a, a hardworking, a great asset, some great connections in the New York and entertainment business that, that I think Paul took advantage of. Uh, throughout the years, but um, great guy. Yeah, I just heard he actually might be ring announcing for MLW. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, recently. Uh, and of course, uh, I, I like to call him now my good friend, uh, Mr. Bob Ortiz. Oh, Bob Ortiz is, him and his, and his wife Lex are fantastic people. Um, from the TWA days, uh, they would bring, I don't know if anybody knows, I'm sure people have heard the stories. They would bring food to the shows, set up a, a goodie table for all the shows for back in TWA and ECW, just uh, going back again to genuinely nice, super nice people. And uh, him and his wife Lex are absolutely fantastic. And Bob, of course, is well known for being the, the first well-known ring announcer, if you will, for ECW and uh, another good friend and will always be. And a great big Flyers fan. Don't mess with his hockey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after I interviewed him, he actually sent me a hockey jersey. So, <laughs> oh, <there you> go. <laughs> yeah, Bob is one of my travel partners. Him, uh, Rocky Musiano, and I pretty much roomed a lot together in the early days, along with Andy Weinberg. Uh, so, yeah, we traveled and uh, and roomed together a lot in ECW as well. Very cool. Uh, before I get back to some more ECW chat. Uh, who is a referee from the history of the business? Who's someone whose work that you really like? Um, Tommy Young, probably the greatest ever uh, until I met him. <laughs> Tommy, <laughs> Tommy Young is great, and Tommy Young will tell you he's great. But I guess he, I guess he, he can do that because uh, he was, in my opinion, the best. Um, just his, just the mechanics of being a referee, the the performance. Uh, which very well, we shouldn't really be, be performing a lot, but his facials and reactions to matches were were top notch. Um, and back then, I mean, he was he was the guy with NWA, of course, with the Hebners as well. But he was, in my opinion, the best the best ever. Along, yeah. with, of course, of course, my trainer Dick Rowley as well, who pretty much was only was um, early WWF days in the early Saturday mornings. He was more a WWF guy. He worked some NWA shows. But he was the TV ref on Saturday mornings. Every morning, if you tuned in back in the late '70s, early '80s, through almost the '90s, um, uh, he would be he would be one A. Tommy on one, Dick Rowley one A. Excellent, excellent. Okay, back to some ECW chat. 
I know this, this is a tired story that gets brought up, but what I would like to do is everyone that I've asked about this to do a compilation video of everyone's answers. It's Heatwave 2000. There's a bunch of guys from a company called XPW. They're in the front row. I got to speak to the Messiah about this recently, but I've spoke to a plethora of ECW guys about it. So I've had two sides of the story here. What do you remember of this incident when, I guess during the main event, something happened, there's a fight in the parking lot. What's your memory of this happening? You know, what, what does John Finnegan say when this happens? It's, I, all I, it's funny because I, Jim, I believe, was doing the main event that night when it finally all broke loose. Um, yeah. And we actually were getting ready, believe it or not, to walk out of that building and go catch our flight. It was leaving 9.30 that night at LAX. So I never saw any of the parking lot stuff. I wasn't even out there. Um, I saw all the stuff going on, the chaos at ringside. And I was down there for a little bit of that. And then it just moved out of the ring. So I never even saw any of the, uh, the outside stuff. I, just, I heard the stories like everybody else because, uh, like I said, we were getting ready to – as soon as the show was over, we go catch a flight to make sure we didn't miss it to head home. <laughs> right. Throughout the night, they were there making commotion uh, at ringside. And, I mean, nothing over the top until the final of the main event. And I think somebody uh, got involved physically and uh, then all came. Yeah, no, no problem there, John. Um, I was just wondering if uh, John Finnegan was also out there clonking hits together, but... Uh... <laughs> John Finnegan's a fighter. He's not a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I expected that to be, be the way. <laughs> um, we're getting towards the end of ECW here. When did you first feel things weren't going well? Was there ever a time where you, you, your pay might not have uh, come through or... Oh, there was many times that our pay didn't come through. It was probably a good, uh, at least a year. It may have been more than that. Um, where you weren't getting pay, you were just getting maybe a draw at the end of the night, 50 bucks or something like that. I think there was a max on what you were allowed to, to take out. Um, right. the, the one thing, I always booked my own uh, flights, and then Paul would have me or Debbie would reimburse me, have it reimbursed to me, so... On that aspect, I was always taken care of. I never missed any of that. But of course, pay everybody missed. Um, at least a year, if not more, uh, the people weren't getting actual their actual paychecks. And uh, to everybody's credit, they kept coming back uh, every night, putting on a show for the fans, going back to what we talked about earlier. That locker room um, never, whatever was going on, and it was it was bad towards the end. It never affected their performance and their their will to go out there and perform for the people. Absolutely. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, uh, January 2001. Um, were you there on this show? Uh, and I know I've asked plenty of people that have been on that show if they knew that this was the end. Um, but there is like a bit of a beer bash in the ring as well, which kind of signifies some sort of, you know, farewell message. But um, what are your memories of this? I know Paul wasn't there. Uh, what are your memories of Pine Bluff? Yeah, Pine Bluff. I was not there either. I said my goodbye. I knew it was over at the last right. interview. And, and actually, I, <laughs> I was getting a lot of heat at home, not getting paid. So I wasn't going to put money out. Like I said, I, I booked a lot of my uh, airfare. So I didn't want to go down there even know him probably was the last show and Tommy got me a uh, a one-on-one -on -one with Paul just to try to get some money out of him um so I wouldn't come home to divorce papers when, when I got home after the pay-per-view 
and uh, I talked to Paul for a couple minutes, and he gave me he gave me some money, and I said thanks. I said to him, I, I remember to this day, thanks for everything. I'm sure I'll I'll see you again uh, down the road. And he's he just looked at me and smiled, and out the door I went, and that was it. Wow, Tommy got you a few minutes with him. That's good on you, Tommy. Um, so, okay, well, you, you knew ECW was done. Uh, a lot of people found out that it was done because they saw Paul uh, show up on Monday Night Raw. Um, but I guess the most important aspect of this, I uh, mentioned family uh, earlier. You're used to seeing your ECW family every week, several days a week. You're used to seeing them all the time. You have this camaraderie, this uh, family. Now, now suddenly it's gone. Maybe you'll see some on the independent circuit if you start refereeing on the independent circuit, which you can let me know if you did or not. Um, how did it feel losing that tight-knit family feeling and, and how, did, how did you get through that kind of process afterward? Um, it, it, I never, it's, I did, uh, continue to, I, my phone was ringing off the hook actually to work indie. So I'd never stopped working until this day. I'm still, uh, refing. maybe not as much now, mostly the last 10 years, I've probably been working with ECWA, uh, Jim Kettner's old promotion. If you're familiar with the super eight down here, yeah. uh, a friend of mine bought that from him and that's what I'm doing today. Uh, probably for the last 10, 12 years now. And somebody new took over ECW, another friend of mine, Ryan Cavanaugh, and, He's continuing ECWA. Uh, so that's um, what I've been doing lately and have continued to do after ECW. But yeah, there's still as much as I love ECWA now and, and a lot of the guys that work there that I've worked a lot with in the last 10 years who I consider a wrestling family now, there still wasn't anything like ECW uh, it was and the way it ended. And it was tough. It was tough seeing that end, uh, not for me personally, but for the for the wrestlers, um, they they killed themselves. I mean, there's a lot of unfortunate guys that aren't with us anymore that had busted their asses throughout that whole time, and and for it to end like that, and probably a lot of them didn't get this two minutes with Paul like I did. I'm sure they didn't, and uh, and and to at least be told that they were appreciated um, is a shame. It ended terribly uh, for a lot of hardworking guys, and to see that. And like you said, see him showing up on Raw, I'm sure it was a kick in the gut with a lot. I'm sure a lot of people knew it, but just to see it in almost, I'm sure it hurt Paul uh, to this day, having to go there and, and work there. But um, he had to do what he had to do for his family. And it, it was unfortunate for the guys that we worked with all those years to have to see it like that and for it to end that way. Absolutely. But um, with every end, there there is, you know, potential of some sort of rebirth before i get to the rebirth there is a show called ecw one night stand oh, and i promise you john we don't have too many more questions to go here um I'm not doing anything we're good <laughs> <laughs> okay cool uh, ecw one night stand uh, for me this stands as one of i would say at least my top three pay-per-views that i ever saw in my whole entire life that's including every company uh, one night stand was just a magical <laughs> uh, day for me and my friends. Because when we watch a pay per view, it's it's the morning here. Uh, <laughs> so, who contacts you? The show? How does it feel? Does it feel authentic? How was it to be back with that ECW family one more time? Uh, at that time, uh, Tommy Dreamer was in creative at uh, 
um, WWE. So he's the one that contacted everybody. And I said, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely be a part of it. And um, it was the first East, uh, one night stand was very close, if not just like EC, the original ECW. Um, the atmosphere there uh, in, in New York was just unbelievable. Um, the fans, like I've been, like I've said earlier, the fans were such a part of that show. They were even a bigger part of that show, uh, One Night Stand. It was just insane. The um, me, everybody came out, got an unbelievable reaction. They started chanting my name when I came out working the first match that I worked, which is just nuts to me. Um, they knew who everybody was. They knew Bob Ortiz. They knew uh, Andy Weinberg that was doing had the headsets on at ringside. Steve DeAngelis. I mean, everybody. Atlas Security. They all got unbelievable reactions that night. It was. It was. It, it, it will continue to be just unforgettable. It was a great, great night. Obviously, to be back with everybody, but to be welcomed uh, by the wrestling community like that, like we never left and just picked it right back up for, for another night. It was an awesome, awesome night. Absolutely. You know that there's something special about it when even the, the, the damn security are getting a pop from the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody. They knew the popcorn guy. The popcorn guy would have got his name chanted. It was, it was unbelievable, those fans. That night. Usually security get hate from people, but not in ACW. <laughs> Alice security was over that night. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you on the Hardcore Homecoming show that was also on that weekend? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did uh, all those Hardcore Homecoming shows. Um, uh, that was neat. Of course, you, you hear the stories about people getting heat for working one and not the other, or you're not going to work yet. I don't think that it, there may have been a little bit of that, but there was that was just talk, internet right. talk is. I say, um, yeah, that was that was actually being at the arena. Of course, um, I, I wish one night stand would be at the arena, uh, just because that's where it all started. But the hardcore homecoming was kind of the arena homecoming, and then one night stand was the New York homecoming. But of course, New York being on a bigger scale, being on bigger pay per view, got the bigger the bigger attention. But very similar, um, very similar shows as far as uh, the welcome back and the the feeling of being back together with everybody doing our thing. Um, just a great weekend. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good that the homecoming, uh, Huckle homecoming show happened because there were people contracted to TNA at the time that wouldn't be able to be on one night stand. So at least within one weekend, I know not everyone could be on one show, but at least you can get the Ravens and, and the Shane Douglases on one show. And then on the other, you can get, um, everybody else uh it, it, it worked perfectly i just you're right it one had helped the other absolutely and uh if you were an ecw fan that that was probably one of your favorite weekends to be an ecw fan yeah uh a year later we find out ecw is is coming back uh it's gonna be relaunched and from my interview with uh lou Lou told me that because um, he was working behind the scenes at the time that it, it was going to be, you know, back to, to what it was. Tommy even said, uh, and when I interviewed C.W. Anderson, he also said that Tommy said, we're picking up our feud right where we left off. We're going to pretend that no time has, has been. We have the one night stand in 2006, which is a little bit 
a bit, I was a bit iffy about it because it wasn't just ECW guys. Now you had, you know, your Randy Orton's or your, your Edges and your, your Kurt Angles on the show, which was fine. Could let it slide. But, you know, I was excited for ECW to return. How did you feel about the second one night stand? And also, uh, you know, we, we offered a, a contract with the WWE to, to be on this WWE CW. Um, please tell me how you felt, at least initially. Uh, almost identical to what you just said. The, the, the uh, involvement of WWE people obviously didn't um, feel as authentic as the first one did. Um, I have mixed emotions with it. Uh, I was actually involved in lo a lot. As I found out later, I, I was kind of like on uh, display for a contract because I got offered a contract uh, after that show. Uh, after the, after the uh, second one, Tommy called me uh, Monday and said they want you to, uh, they want to sign you to a contract because we were doing two TV that Tuesday, the first taping of the new ECW show. And um, at the time, I, I, I'm at my job actually now for 30 years. I always, I never left my real job all through ECW. I've always worked my full-time job. And uh, after that taping, uh, I had a meeting with John Laronitis. He offered me that, that, a contract and unfortunately I had to turn it down because I just couldn't, with the uncertainty of the wrestling business, I mean, they could have pulled that contract six months later and I would have left my, at that time, 20 plus year job, uh, benefits the whole deal and would have been stuck. And uh, I unfortunately had to turn it down, but they were, they, they were great to me because they, they had me say, anytime we were in the area, come and work for the ECW show. So I probably worked probably almost a good, close to a year and a half, two years uh, beyond that, doing house shows and some of the TV and got to work at Madison Square Garden, uh, which was phenomenal. Uh, we did an ECW taping at Madison Square Garden. Um, Made some real good money in a year and a half uh, from WWE, which uh, which was great. And uh, but as far as comparing the two one night stands, definitely the atmosphere, the fans were great. Um, I'll never forget being in that ring with Cena and Van Dam. I've never seen a, a fan reaction to a wrestler like that ever that I've been in the ring with. He even said it to me in the ring and looked at me and says, "Oh my God." What am I got myself into? He specifically said that to me. And I said, uh, welcome to ECW. And uh, that was a great, that was probably one of my top five matches ever to be involved in was, was that match. Um, just, just because of, number one, because of the fans, because they were great. They made that, they made that match um, <laughs> feel like ECW. I and mean, they let everybody, especially John Cena, know uh, he wasn't ECW and he was, <laughs> he was in our house. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, that was great. It was, it was great. Not as great as one, but two was good. And probably two being better because I got a lifelong fan got offered and being told that Vince McMahon likes you by John Laronitis and wants you to be a part of the company. Just yeah. hearing, I didn't need to sign anything. Say what you want about Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon is God in professional wrestling. He, he is professional wrestling. Um, and to hear that he likes you, whether it was BS or not, I heard it. He said it to me and they offered me a contract, which was, which was great. And uh, it was, it was a fun, another fun night. Absolutely. Uh, my, uh, my favorite part of it is the fact that the fans kept throwing his t-shirt back into the oh, ring. Fantastic. That's when he said it to me, when he said it, when he said it back, when they threw it back the second time, um, it was, they were awesome. It was great. It was so much fun. Absolutely. So much fun. My, if you see me on Facebook or uh 
my son, my kids were, well, today they're 26 and 24. So they weren't around for the original. Well, they are around, but they weren't at the arena. That's the last place I would let my young kids come to at the arena. But my son today, he's always posting the video where Cena clotheslines me or Bubba and Taz throw me <laughs> through a table at one of the pay-per-views. He's always posting it. It comes up in memories on Facebook and he posts it and laughs about it. And just <laughs> he missed all the fun times back then. So at least I'll, I'll always have those memories. And I had, uh, I had a lot of fun in the last 35 years. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so it's the, this is interesting because when I interviewed Jim, he told me about how he was very quick to just be like, you know what? No, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. And, uh, cause, cause he also had a, his job to worry about as well. Um, how long into, you know, doing the shows on sci-fi, doing some of your house shows. I know that there was one at the ECW arena where I'm pretty sure Vince saw um, footage of it and thought, you know what? No, 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 I don't want it to look like this or whatever it was. How long into it did you realize that they were going to go back on their word and not let Tommy and Paul really have full control? Yeah, it was doing the house shows because um, they did them the same night as, not the house shows, I'm sorry, taping the TV was the mm. same night they were on SmackDown. So we were taping on nights of SmackDown. So it was, you knew it then. Um, you kind of were back in corner in a corner in your own little locker room and didn't really have much interaction unless obviously you were working a match on the show or anything like that. It was kind of, it was kind of something that was, yeah, we, we committed to this so we're doing it, but we're not going to do it like the way we used to do it, but it's going to be TV content form. That's is really how I, I say they, yeah, they definitely went away and, and it's a shame not, not to that first one night stand, not to just take that whole atmosphere and not want to do it like that and continue to like that boggles my mind to this day, why they wouldn't do that. There was no reason that we had to be on SmackDown. We, we could have done a, a show at the arena or a show at uh, New York and in, in Queens and at a smaller scale. That's what ECW was. ECW wasn't about, a 20,000 seat, uh, 80% of it, little kids running around. It was an intimate group of fans that loved a certain product. Uh, they wanted to spend their money. They wanted it. They, they, they demanded, they really, really were pleading to have it come back and just to not take that and, and run with it was, was a shame. And I mean, the pay-per-view buys alone on that first one night stand should have been enough for them to say, Hey, we got something here. Let's, Let's try to do it like this and, and see what happens. It, it would have worked if they did it and let them guys run it. And that's that. As much as I just said, Vince McMahon is God in professional wrestling. The other Vince McMahon, who, and to all, to his credit, thinks he knows everything, but he probably does. That's kind of one he missed. I think he, he, he really missed that one. Yeah, I kept on thinking to myself, why aren't they just doing the the, the regular loops and the this? same kind of towns that they used to do, smaller kind of, you know, civic centres, et cetera. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about being on before SmackDown because it didn't have the feel. And as soon as I saw that and, you know, you know, there would be disqualifications in matches and all that stuff. And, you know, then I saw like Stephen DeAngelis was now no longer there because I guess Kevin Dunn didn't like him. And I saw some of the referees start to disappear. Um, I just... Yeah, and then, you know, it just didn't take too long before I was like, I mean, look, I watched the December to Dismember pay-per-view with my friends. We bought the pay-per-view. <laughs> you, you, 
were, there weren't many. I guess you were part of the half a dozen that did because that was, my goodness, that was bad. <laughs> well, we were watching it and as it was going on, we were like, what's, we were just like, something's wrong. Like, we don't understand this. How is this a pay-per-view? Like the, the matches that were taking place, like it, we just were watching as it was wearing on, just thinking, why do we buy this? Like barely any of the guys that we watched watching ECW were there and nothing against the guys that they brought in as the new breed, but um, just it just was, it was just terrible. And, and then right at the end there, when I saw Bobby Lashley win the ECW championship, I got nothing against Bobby Lashley. I think he's awesome. But yeah, when I, I saw that, I was like, okay, they just killed it. And uh, that for me was strike three because I, I, I hated the invasion because the WCW-WWF invasion could have lasted years. I hated the invasion. Oh, my yep. God. Yep. <laughs> Anyone could have written that better than what they did. When they brought in the NWO, I'm a big NWO fan. So I was disappointed in how that was over within like three, four months. And then ECW's return, strike three. I haven't like really watched their product that much since. Maybe WrestleMania, but never full time every single week. I just wanted to tell you that from an ECW's fan's perspective, when my heart was broken for the last time at WWE. You're, You're definitely not alone. A lot of people said that to me. That was, that was the end and uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so when did it get to a point where it, you were no longer going to be refereeing for the company? Um, the last show I did was, um, it was a Survivor Series in Philly, actually in Philly at the Wells Fargo, my local building here right across the bridge from me in New Jersey. Um, I was there and I was supposed to do a spot. Um, I, I think I may have been the last guy ECW original other than Tommy Dreamer or bigger guys like that that was, that was probably not used anymore um, but they didn't nobody told me not to come back I just decided not to come back I was actually supposed to do a little spot in one of the matches um, where somebody came out uh, Fit Finley came out with a shillelagh he's supposed to walk down the aisle and get involved in the match and the referee's supposed to come out behind him from the entranceway and grab the shillelagh from him um, uh, so he wouldn't take it to the ring and I was told to do that. And right at the last minute, I got pulled from doing it. And uh, I'm thinking, that's weird. Because I was really, I was just very, I always got along with all the agents and stuff like that. And John Laronitis, I thought, liked me, always had me involved in one way or the other. And Arn Anderson, um, I got friendly with. And Dean Malenko, obviously Dean from being an ECW. But I got friendly with Arn after the Cena Van Damme match. And he always had me do a lot of matches when I was there showing up. He would put me in, in high-profile ECW matches for their TV, if you will. Um, but for some reason, never given a reason. Ah, don't worry about it. You don't have to do it. We'll have one of our guys do it, one of their contracted uh, referees. Right. And uh, I said, that's cool. I, I, I had some fun. I appreciate what they, they could have told me when I said no to the contract. Thanks. Don't come back. Um, but they offered that to me, and it was great. And got a year and a half out of it. And I had no regrets. Um uh, the only regret I do have being a fan all my life is not being able um, to work a WrestleMania and seeing those DCW guys in that, in that WrestleMania uh, tag match. Yeah. I so wanted to be that referee holding their hands up in that, in, in the ring at the, during that match, but that never, it never came about. There was a little bit of talk of bringing me out to do the show, but it never happened. They just, just talk and uh, 
other than not working at WrestleMania as a referee, is probably my only regret not signing the contract. But um, I enjoyed, I still enjoy my time in the business and think I had a, a pretty good career as it is and uh, without being a WWE employee, if you will. Um, I had a lot of fun from something I started watching at five years old and still to this day love it and will always, will always love it. Uh, I'm happy to hear that, and it, it, it's it's a no-brainer. It's it's the new breed versus the the ECW guys. Come on, how, how could you not have John Finnick in referee that match? That just that blows my mind. Uh, before we finish up here, John, I want to ask you: What do you hope John Finnegan is most remembered for? Um, obviously, being a, a good a good referee. I mean, always be even reliable in the ring for whoever I work with. I, I think I had that um, from a lot of people. I work with a lot of different names in the last 35 years that I, I've always got good feedback from. But it, um, above all of that, in a business that gets a bad rap uh, for people being just jerks and uh, arrogant people and tough to deal with, I just... I just hope that I was, I always treated everybody well. I hope I treated fans well. I mean, I have people come up to me as fans that I'll take an hour if they want to talk about wrestling on the street or something like that. I, I just, it just seems so silly to me that people even come up to me to have those conversations. But I, I just, I guess, want to be remembered as somebody that took the time and was respectful uh, to anybody, to anybody that asked. Awesome. And, uh, you know, you're hoping that people thought of you as a good referee. I would say excellent referee. I would say one of the best. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and before we get to our final segment of the show, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Anything going on in the life of John Finnegan? Uh, like I said, I'm still repping for uh, ECWA. We're out of Morganville, New Jersey. So a lot of the, only about an hour or so from Philly. Um, uh, always looking to with the Super 8 tournament, you always see a lot of guys that were in the Super 8 tournament make it big today. They're in WWE, AEW, a lot of them starting the Super 8 tournament. That's a one year tournament that we're still doing. Uh, come out and support indie wrestling. Uh, the next show is November uh, 6th in Morganville, New Jersey. ECWA Super Clash, still on the name from an old uh, wrestling promotion. Uh, <laughs> but, but come out and support um, indie wrestlers. You will see these guys on TV five, six, seven years from now, um, these the guys and girls in this business, uh, you have to have a love for it to do it. You have to have a passion beyond anything to do it. And all the guys that are working uh, and girls are working ECWA now have that passion. They want to get to the big stage, come out and support them. Um, you will not be disappointed. Excellent. And everyone out there on YouTube, look down in the description there. If you want to find ECWA, I'll put all the links down there, everything. And so you can check it all out. And, and, and you know, as John said, please support indie wrestling. Um, okay, John, we're getting to our final segment here on the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five second rule, it's okay. You won't get in trouble. <laughs> the first question I already know the answer but i got to ask it anyway who's your favourite wrestler of all time American Dream Dusty Rhodes if you will <laughs> excellent <laughs> uh, if you could pick a, a favourite match that you've had the opportunity to participate in if you could pick one what would you pick 
God, I hate to disappoint ECW fans. Uh, there's been so many ECW fans, but that Cena Van Dam match at One Night Stand was was special, and I credit that to the fans making it that special. Um, that was a lot of fun, but I can't narrow an ECW match down. There was just too many, too many moments in that just the arena alone that were special. But that was that was neat, and kudos because of the ECW fans. Absolutely. Uh, if you could pick a favorite guy who to, 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 to referee a match for, is there anyone that you like to work with most? Uh, Shane Douglas or Raven. Um, just for some reason, I had a connection with both. Uh, both always wanted, to, wanted me to work with them. Um, I'd probably nod to Shane. Shane is such a professional. Um, shame he didn't get more of the do that he got for ECW uh, or being on, the, on WWE. Uh, his whole career, uh, but those two guys probably my my favorite. Excellent, excellent. Okay, getting away from wrestling finally now, John. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Do I have a favorite book? Uh, not getting away from wrestling because I love Mick Foley's first first book, and I'm also a big Howard Stern fan. So his first book was was great as well. Um, not the greatest uh, literature guy, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> Those two stick out to me. Uh, I enjoyed both. Excellent. Uh, do you have a favorite TV show? Um, yeah, it's a, probably a tie too. Uh, love Big Bang, love Modern Family. Um, and I'll get some heat for this, but I'm a huge Dancing with the Stars fan. <laughs> <laughs> right, trust me, it's okay. I had the homicidal, suicidal, genocidal Sabu on the show, and his answer was the real housewives of Beverly Hills or whatever it was. And I was like, Are you kidding me, bro? You're the most sadistic wrestler of all time, and that's your answer. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh moving away from TV, favorite film, John. Uh, this is an easy one. I'll get heat for this too, but I love Greece. My own uh, time. Yeah. I will watch it anytime and stop anytime it's on TV. I love it. Yeah, as soon as it's on, I'll end up just sitting there watching the rest of it. I, I agree. <laughs> I and I'll I'll take the heat for it as well. I don't care. <laughs> uh favorite musical artist. Uh it's a tie between Billy Joel and Elton John. Love them both equally. Excellent answers. I haven't seen Billy, but I have had the chance to see Elton do his thing in concert before. Uh, moving away from the arts now, favorite food? Hmm. Chicken Parmesan. Delicious. Uh, John, do you, do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? God, no, nothing sticks out to me on the road. Oh, I'll, I'll be partial to Philadelphia and uh, Tony Luke's was just right around the corner from the ECW arena was the spot for everybody to go to. So I'll say Tony Luke's. Excellent. Uh, I'm not sure if you're a drinker. The next one is favorite alcoholic beverage, but if you don't drink just any beverage in general, what would be your favorite? Yeah, I am not a drinker at all. I've never had, believe it or not, I've never had a drink in my life, smoked a cigarette, done a drug, which is crazy to be in an ECW locker room and not do at least one of those things. <laughs> but that's a shoot. I never had done any of that. Um, I'm a big Gatorade fan. 
How boring can that be? <laughs> no, that's fine, John. And and you know what? I, I smoked a cigarette on this interview, and I've had some red wine, so I've, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've done it for you here. <laughs> that, that's what was on the buffet table at the locker room. <laughs> uh, two more for five second frenzy. Uh, the second last one. Some may consider the naughtiest question, but this also could be a very meaningful answer as well. Favorite female body part. What is something about an attractive lady? that John Finnegan's eyes will go to first. I'm a, I'm a butt man without a question. Absolutely. Um, I like that answer. Yep. My wife has the best and I've seen a, a few good ones throughout the 35 years in the wrestling business too. She left the, hell in my she left the house. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent answer, John. I love that. Uh, and the final one, John, I don't think you've said one swear word on this show, but the final one is your favorite curse word. Oh, that that's easy. The F bomb is is probably the best. It's the cla- it's classic. That's classic ECW. It's it's classic curse word. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, John. Well, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me here today, all the way over here in Perth, Western Australia, the most isolated city in the world. That blows my mind I'm talking to you and you're in Australia. Just my family laughed at me. I said, Yeah, I'm doing a, a Zoom interview for wrestling Sunday. The guy's in Australia. They laugh. Yeah, sure he is. I said, I'm telling you, here's a look at his messages. He's in Australia. <laughs> my daughter was helping me get on her computer uh, to pick it up. And she, when you said mate in the in the uh, text, when you texted me back, messaged me back, she just started laughing. I used to go, ah, he said mate. <laughs> I guess he is in Australia. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, I loved your reaction when we were messaging on Twitter. When you said Australia. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, but, Thank you so much. It was a great time. No, absolutely. And and I, I got to say it to you, you know, yes, I'm, in, I'm from Australia. I live in the most isolated city in the world. So I think it's really important to always to say this to everyone. Most isolated city in the world. And you have people here that appreciated what you did in the wrestling business, what you achieved in the wrestling business. And I just think it's so important to know that you have someone so far away and you reached this far, John. So I just want you to know that I appreciate everything that you've done uh, in the wrestling business for, for everybody, um, you know, that you refereed matches for. You're an integral part. And I think it's why I, I like to put everyone up on a pedestal because your role is important as each other. I, I appreciate it very much. And as we all are fans and to be a fan like you are, uh, around the world somewhere it is again blows my mind as to what ECW reaches to and uh, it, like we said it's never going to stop I appreciate your kind words your time and uh, I had a lot of fun thanks thank you thank you so much you're welcome mate I appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> so thank you once again to the one and only John Finnegan and thank you all for watching the Insiders Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm California and Fury. So long. I will see you down the road. Thank you.